and welcome back to Out of the Box MTG, where we think and play out of the box. Um, and welcome to episode number three. We're excited to have you back. We've had some fun episodes at this point. This week's going to be a little bit of, of a departure from the past two weeks, where we've talked a lot about our personal play style, cards we're liking from the new sets. Today, we want to dive more into the theory side of the game. One of the things that we really want to focus on between this podcast and between the Substack articles that are coming up weekly is talking about more than just decks and cards themselves, but talk about theory as a whole. Um, as I've been thinking about this and as we've been brainstorming and iterating on what out of the box is going to be, one of the things we were thinking about is musicians. Musicians, the best of the best, are masters of their craft. They know their instrument incredibly well, but they also understand music theory. They understand how to piece things together, how it works from a conceptual level, and that creates the the best musicians. And so how we're viewing this is, you know, we're going to talk about decks. We're going to talk about cards, and those are are the instruments themselves. Those are the things that you learn and you master that art, but there's also a theory side of music, a theory side of magic about how to play the game, how to play commander. And we really want to focus in on that today. And specifically the area we want to talk about in this realm of theory is card advantage. So getting into that, one of the things in the evolution of commander that has evolved well is the idea of ramp ramp has taken a lot of, forms over time and people's perspective on ramp is very diversified i guess you could say you have options kind of all over the map from traditional ramp which is a rampant growth go search up a land and throw it on the battlefield to artifact based ramp which is similar but it's a permanent that stays on the battlefield not like a like different from a land in that sense but you also have stuff like treasure generation you have mana reducers you have ways to cast spells for free. I think when the community as a whole looks at ramp, they see things more than just, I search out a land and put it on the battlefield or play an extra land from my hand or something like that. But card advantage is a space that I think has held itself a little bit too tightly to the idea of draw a card. Now, as we talk about things today, we don't want to give off the impression that we don't see value in that statement. I mean, cards that say draw a card or draw multiple cards, whether it's all at one time or spread out over the course of a game are truly the purest form of card advantage. It is giving you more cards to your hand, generating you cards and advantage over the course of the game. But there's also a lot of other options for what that card advantage suite in your deck can look like. I think when you go online, you find a lot of these deck building templates that say, have this many removal spells, this many ramp spells, this much card draw. Sometimes I'll refer to it as card advantage. But when you see that, you say, okay, I need to have 10 card draw spells. And you go look through your deck and you find 10 cards that say, draw a card and you check that box. What we want to talk about today is ways that you can take that and say, Maybe I don't need 10 cards that explicitly say draw a card, but 10 or whatever number the is, that is. We're not advocating for a specific deck building template here, but a certain number of cards that generate you 
advantage over the course of a game. Now that very well be some cards that say draw a card, but what we want to focus on today is the theory behind other strategies and types of cards that can generate that advantage. So with us today, we've got Logan. What's up, man? And we got Jake. Hey, how's it going, guys? And we're going to be talking through this together. And this is going to be a little bit different format. It's not going to be, oh, here's a card that I like. Let's talk through it. We want to, we want to go back and forth. Our ideas differ on this a little bit. Um, and we just want to, we want to talk through this idea of advantage. But the first place that we want to start, I want to, I want to pass it over to Jake and have him kind of introduce this first general idea of alternative form of card advantage. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so go ahead and forgive me if I get any uh, more cracks than normal in my voice here. But, um, and we kind of talked a little bit before the podcast, and I think our our ideas do vary a little bit. Um, we kind of agree on a lot, but we we have some disagreements too. So um, my, I guess my, my take um, on card advantage, just holistically, um, when I, when I was thinking about, um, for this, for this cast, I thought obviously magic cards have different power levels, have different things that they do, different synergies, but just bare bones. If all magic cards were equal, if every magic card was a one, one soldier token, which I love, then card advantage would be, how can I get more one, one soldier tokens than the rest of the table obviously i have seven in my opening hand and you know if i'm playing commander i've got 21 others so card advantage in in the commander format does uh, matter i think in some ways more than it does in 1v1 formats just because you are starting at a disadvantage um just from a pure card to card level um, obviously that theory falls away a little bit and changes when you're looking at what does my card do compared to someone else's card um, and so I actually wrote an article about this, um, over on the Substack about activated abilities. It was a commander level up moment for me and go ahead and head over to the Substack to read about it. But basically, uh, I was playing, uh, my first game of magic with Q, uh, and Logan, but specifically playing against Q's Daxus deck that we've talked about a couple of times on the pod and Daxus has an activated ability which uh, if I'm wrong, Q, let me know, but it's one white black. You create a spirit enchantment creature token with uh, power toughness equal to the amount of experience counters you have. And then, you know, you get your experience counters when you uh, cast enchantments, if I'm not mistaken. But what happened to me was I looked at that card and thought, okay, it's an enchantress deck. It's a pre-con. It's not very strong. I'm specifically running a blue base deck that does a lot of spells and a lot of drawing cards. Um, and, I got pretty blown out, not just from the light stacks that was that was going on, but when we got near the end game, Q didn't really need to draw cards anymore. Uh, he was able to just sink mana into Daxus, and that mana sink, that activation, was a form of card advantage. One, because he was creating tokens, which are uh, virtual cardboard, so he's getting more pieces of cardboard, and the synergies were there. And even if he and I both had zero cards in hand, he had something to do. And so, I mean, it, it totally sank me and I had to go into this head spiral of how do I uh, uh, change my magic gameplay when I, I'm not, you know, thinking about activated abilities in this way, but um, really that, that was a, a big changer for me in just 
gameplay generally and deck building generally, but also just thinking about uh, card advantage was activated abilities in that way. Yeah. And I think that's so huge because I think for me, one of the biggest things that I look for to like, as a way to gain card advantage is to, is if a card is repeatable, right? So if you can do something multiple times, like an activated ability, right? Activated abilities are a perfect example of this. And there's other versions that we're going to talk about later today, but there are lots of cards that I really like that I find that even though they don't technically say draw a card on them, they give you advantage because you're not spending more cards to get an effect. So for example, let me, and I want to get your guys' take on like what you guys think of this one. So one of my favorite cards, and it's always like one of those cards where it's always like right on the fringe for me where I want to put it in more decks, but it doesn't always make the cut, but it's Mirage Mirror. So Mirage Mirror is like a three mana artifact and it comes in, it doesn't do anything right away, but it says for two mana, you could basically have it become a copy of a, of a creature, an enchantment, a land, of something else that's already on the battlefield. Um, and so I love this because it's an activated ability that lets me, on different turns, turn it into different things depending on what the situation calls for. Um, like, I remember there was one game, this was probably like a year or so ago, Q. I don't know if you remember this game, but I think there was a, there was like a life gain drain ta- uh, deck at the table, and... I just kept turning my Mirage Mirror into the, was it Sanguine Bond, I think is what it is. Um, yeah, it was one of those. I was I had a, a Yurlock deck, which was yeah. all about mm-hmm. trying to get Mana Burn to, to work. And honestly, that, that deck struggled. It never really found its <laughs> true legs. But that was one of the, the ways that I did it was as my opponents were losing life, I was gaining life because the deck drew a lot of ire. But I do, I remember that game very explicitly because we kind of got into this stalemate where you kept activating that card and it, we we both were moving the same direction. And, and and we couldn't really make a lot of headway because we essentially both ended up having that card. Whenever I lost life, you you gained life and, and vice versa. And we just played right. this little dance all because of that, that, that one card. And it was able to take different forms throughout the game yeah. as needed. Yeah. And I love that example because it was, it was perfect because in that situation where Quentin was trying to kill and drain, he was spending cards that, you know, that he, you know, had to cast more things to drain everybody else. And I didn't have to play any more cards. I got to keep cards in hand or further my own game plan a little bit with only one card and then could just dump mana into this Mirage Mirror every turn, just keep turning it into a copy of something. And stay at that same life. I wouldn't, I'd lose the life, but then I'd gain it right back. So I wouldn't actually, I wasn't actually losing anything. And I was staying ahead because Quentin was spending cards to try to kill the table. Everyone else was dying and I was staying put. So it was like the perfect, you know, I, I love that example of like gaining advantage through a single card that doesn't just say draw a card on it. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's the Genesis here, right? That That's the, the core idea of what we're trying to get at is, Card advantage is this idea that a singular card can net you value more than it's, you know, the four sides of that one card, that it does more and carries more weight than what it seems at first. Because, you know, you can have a vanilla creature that you spend down and a vanilla creature is a singular card and it does that thing. But if if that one card can create an accrue advantage over the course of a game, like Logan's saying, you're not drawing cards per se, but you're also maybe not spending your own cards in your hand 
to do certain things. And so that's the, that's the idea behind these activated abilities and kind of back to what Jake was talking about is that is how that's what fuels Daxus. Daxus is a deck that I play. I have cards in that deck that allow me to draw cards, you know, that there, there's certainly some of those in the deck, but they're not nearly as abundant as most decks because what Daxus allows me to do is to spend three mana to virtue to, to basically say cast a creature that has power and toughness equal to my experience counters and oh, so and you, trigger your constellation like and trigger synergy do other things yeah. Yeah. yeah but basically I, when it boils what when you boil it down it says three mana cast this creature that has this you know this text on it and daxus has an infinite hand size of that spell if you can cast it exactly as long as you have the mana you can do it another one that i think is a really good example of this is aggravated assault which is uh, an enchantment that you has the activated ability that you can take an additional combat after this turn so one one of the inherent disadvantages to cards like this with activated abilities is they come down and they often don't do anything so that needs to be acknowledged that these aren't just you know the saving grace of everything. They're, they're not like they yeah, are not advising you to not draw right? cards. Right? They have they have a downside. Like you yeah. play aggravated assault, it costs you five mana to cast that spell, and then another five mana to activate it. But if you can land at the right time, you essentially can then you know going back to aggravated assault, pay five mana and keep taking extra combat after extra combat. Mm-hmm. Each one of those extra combats is a card beyond its first. So the first time you activate an ability, you have now, you know, gotten the full advantage of that card. It has now been worth one spell essentially. But then every time you activate it after that, it is a free spell and a free card in your hand to free up space for other things. And so that's the idea here behind activated abilities is they can generate you virtual cards that you Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to build otherwise yeah and i think that there's um one thing that i feel like i'm very passionate about doing with my deck building is i don't typically like to just play staples of cards like i i I typically try to like hey if i'm playing a specific card in one deck i try not to play it in like all of my decks i try to mix it up i try to find new cards so that my decks feel fresh and different um and i what i and one of the things i like with active abilities is there are some that can work so thematically with your deck, right? Like I've talked about on here before, like I love sneak attack, right? And sneak attack is good with like a, you know, a with big mana creatures that cost a lot. Because now for four mana and then for however many times you activate its ability, you're getting all these creatures into play, right? Another one that I really like, like Verity Circle. There is uh, like a Timon and Rhoda deck that one of my friends plays where it's, you know, the whole idea of what they want to be doing is tapping and untapping and like putting counters and things like that. But Verity Circle, now that one does actually say draw a card on it, but even still it has an activated ability to tap down creatures. So now you're stopping creatures from attacking. And in addition to that, it's giving you even more value in the draw a card, but just its activated ability to tap down a creature is valuable in and of itself. Like even without that card draw thing, there are lots of cards that will say, you know, pay a white tap and tap a creature, right? Like, but I love those. I I love finding like activated abilities that fit thematically into like what your deck style is and like making that work for you. And and like I said, I know that one says draw a card, but there's lots of others that can still be synergistic in your deck and thematic without like 
you know, having just straight downsides on something that maybe is a little slow. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally. I think uh, activated abilities are something that I'm looking for more and more because essentially it's a card that has spells, right? Yeah. So. And and another one that I thought would be interesting to talk about this as I was thinking about it is there's a couple of cards kind of from the same era. We don't see this as much, but cards that regenerate creatures. I think about mm-hmm. the card Asceticism, which allows you to pay one and a green to regenerate a creature. That is also a form of card advantage because if your opponents go to try and kill a creature or remove it or do something like that, Asceticism potentially allows you to regenerate that creature. Thrun, the last troll, also has that same kind of ability where you can use you can use that activated ability to save your creatures, which keep you ahead on cards. Instead right? of so, having to hold up protection in your hand or something. It's just exactly. There. These yeah. are onboard ways to just protect your creatures. And again, I, I wanna I think it's important to recognize that these cards if you don't ever get to the activated ability can negatively impact your game plan, right? right? Like they can come down and do nothing. If you never get to activate them, it really can be a dead card. So there is, there is apprehension there. So the, you know, the floor can be pretty bad, but the ceiling on these cards can be incredibly high and frankly, higher than cards that, you know, can say, Hey, I'm going to draw three cards off of this. The, The ceiling on these creatures or cards with activated abilities can be much higher than, another card that can just give you straight card advantage in the sense of drawing you a a handful of cards. Right. Yeah. Um, So another kind of vein, and this isn't like exactly an activated ability, but I want to get your guys' take on what you think about um, with this. So I've been thinking about planeswalkers a lot. And I think that planeswalkers have a lot of value and can be a really good form of card advantage because essentially, right. I I look at it a few ways. And so I want to get you guys to take on this, but when you cast a planeswalker, you know, three, four, five, six mana, whatever it is, it comes down. A lot of them first off can have a static ability, which is kind of like an enchantment on the planeswalker right now. It's temporary because it it can have, you know, loyalty counters, you know, added, removed, whatever. But then typically it has somewhere between one to three different activated abilities that you can do off of it. It's not something you pay Mm -hmm. mana to, you just get to activate it. So what I love about this is you have usually one to two that are either plus or minus that are giving you two options of either like an instant or a sorcery, right? Make a token, maybe it is draw a card. It could be scry one, you know, all of the different things that planeswalkers do. And at the top end, it also has you know, an ultimate ability, which could be a very costly spell normally, but you can get it if the Planeswalker stays on the battlefield. But on top of all of that, Planeswalkers like to get hit in Commander, which is like, you know, which is why a lot of people think that that's a bad thing. But I actually think that could be a good thing because it's also helping to preserve your life total. If someone looks at the Planeswalker and says, that damage is better spent getting rid of that card than at your face. You know, the point of commander is to be the last one standing. You don't necessarily have to kill everyone. You just have to last longer than everyone. So if you are protecting your life total in that sense, that planeswalker is now giving you even more advantage. So it can be, it can be saving you life. It could be multiple instants or sorceries through its activated abilities. And sometimes it has a static ability, which is almost like an enchantment. So I look at a planeswalker and I know people don't like it in commander, 
I almost look at it as like you're getting like like two to four cards value worth on a single card. I don't know. What do you what do you guys think about that? Uh, I I I'm in the camp of I don't play planeswalkers, but mostly it's a headache thing for me. <laughs> uh, I think I agree with most of your points. I think there's another hidden mode that um, maybe we haven't talked about with card advantage and planeswalkers is when you are trading cards, when you've got one for one removal, when you've got one for five removal. And we'll, we'll chat about that when we talk about protection, but planeswalkers, because they draw attention, like you said, it preserves your life yeah. total, but people have to spend resources on the planeswalker. So if they've got a removal spell, that's target creature or planeswalker, your commander might dodge that bullet because your right. nickel bolus has to eat it. Right. So uh and and like you said the creatures that they have to send at the planeswalker that is cards that are going that way and so yeah i think i agree with most of your points there yeah and i i think i think if we take a step back from this and look at look at 60 card formats to start off here one of the the premier archetypes in 60 card formats that really relies and learns how to leverage card advantage really well is control strategies. Control strategies are all in 60 card formats are really built around finding ways to get more advanced card advantage in your opponents. You know, aggro decks in 60 card formats don't have to think about that as much, but really these control decks have to, and they often very often employ planeswalkers for that ability because they generate so much advantage for them and that's how these control decks typically lead and build towards a win but even outside of control decks the reason why planeswalkers can be so warping in 60 card formats is because there is so much value baked into that card so from a a, a gameplay theory standpoint i'm a hundred percent on board with you logan i think planeswalkers package so much into one thing especially now kind of the the post war of the spark era where they do have these static abilities on them uh-huh. they really are these big packages of a lot of abilities and a lot of extra value to them i think commander they're susceptible to being killed a lot easier because you have a lot more opponents there's a lot more aggro towards them yeah. um so I think that is definitely a downside to them. But if we're just looking at them purely from uh, the angle of it, card advantage or gameplay advantage in general, I, I think your argument is completely sound. I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. Yeah, because I think one of the reasons why I like it, right, is that they also give you, it's also options, right? Like op- having options you know of what you can do in a certain situation is also a form of card advantage, right? Like a modal spell can be more valuable in a sense than just a single spell because that's yeah. that spell might do multiple things. Right. Which Instead of I, devoting I, three slots, you can devote one slot to those three effects. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so even if maybe you don't love, love all the you know abilities of a certain planeswalker, it still gives you those options and you can utilize them in different ways. Um, but I, I definitely agree. You know, I understand, you know, they can be more susceptible in commander, but at the same time, I also look at it and it's like, okay, well, let's say it's the, you know, the three of us and Simon, you know, who can't be here tonight, but let's say, you know, Simon decides to come and attack my planeswalker. Like, you know, now if he's deciding to do that, he's now going down a value and each of the three of us might gain a little bit, but if he decides not to, I'm the only one gaining value. So like someone has to choose and decide that they're going to lose value by sending damage or creatures at a planeswalker to get rid of it 
rather than, you know, otherwise I'm the only one getting advantage. So but essentially someone yeah. to kind of bite the bullet of like deciding that they're going to be the one to get rid of that advantage for the one player. Yeah. And as, as a resident control player, I will say, uh, and we've talked about activatabilities in the form of mana sinks, which are a big deal. You draw, you go, and then when you're ready, you decide if you're playing a spell from hand or activating an ability. Planeswalkers, um, Teferi, giving you the ability to do that on everyone's turn is great. But like you're saying here, if my card can be worth more than one of yours, then I'm winning the control game. Yeah. And so whether that means two creatures, a removal spell, um, you know, your your mana resources. So in that light, yeah, Planeswalkers fill that um, or check that box, I think, of card advantage, but they do slot in whether you're activating via loyalty or mana or tapping, whatever that is, your cards on the board are giving you more cards and more abilities and more value. And so I think that's kind of where that wraps. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love this idea. I'm a big, big proponent of activated abilities and, and finding ways to fit those in your deck. And I agree with you, Logan. Planeswalkers might be an interesting thing to think about more often in your decks and say, hey, look, if I if I can activate this twice, it, you know, up, up ticket and down ticket once each, like, is that enough? Right. I, I think that's a very valid question to start at, you know, to ask when building a deck and looking at planeswalkers, I've, I've found a couple work to great effect and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been very happy with a couple of them. So I think it's definitely something to consider. Stepping out of the, the world of activated abilities, let's look at some other options we have, right? So we, we've talked about, just raw cards, super strong activated abilities can be forms of multiple ways to, you know, one card creates multiple cards. Another section that we had talked about was, was using the graveyard, leveraging the graveyard as a form of card advantage. Jake, I know you have, you have quite a few graveyard based decks, some reanimation, some other ones that like to use the graveyard and other ways that might not be pure reanimation talk to us a little bit about graveyard and graveyard strategies how you've employed that as a form of of advantage yeah sure i uh had a carador deck a long time ago i've done the mamioplasma i've kind of run that gambit um but i think one uh thing just a little caveat to point out is when i'm thinking of the graveyard I'm sort of lumping it in the same space as exile when you're talking about impulse. I'm essentially saying, can I use my resources more efficiently to get cards not to my hand? Because there is kind of a threshold on getting cards to your hand. But you can, for for usually less resources or or a few less hoops, get cards into your own graveyard or exiled with a time restriction on when you can cast them, right? Your impulsive draws, your, um, uh, those effects, right? And what I, when I'm looking at those, I'm saying, again, if I can devote less resources to getting access to the cards and I'll build my command, use the commander, build my deck to access them, then to me, a discarding or a milling is the same as drawing. Um, and sometimes it's better because you may have cards that let you cheat on cost when it's in those zones. Um, so, but right now I, I run a Vadrock Apex of Thunder deck um, that we talk about uh, at great length whenever possible, but th- that deck gains its advantage. I should, I should say there's a lot of card draw in the deck, 
But the advantage from that deck is most of the spells, including the card draw, cost less than three mana because I would like to reuse them. And so even if I run out of cards in hand, I can mutate my commander or bounce him to hand and mutate him again. And I have, you know, this, this long slot of spells in my graveyard that are recastable for more value. Um, and so you do have, there are downsides, right? Like, uh, and you guys uh, let me know if you have any uh, different opinions or if I feel like this is probably the correct opinion, but when you are able to, there are downsides to sending things to the graveyard into exile, whether it's a timing constraint, a vulnerability constraint, you can get Bajuka Bog, you can not have time to cast the spells that you send to exile, but the efficiency and the uh, selection, I think, is worth looking at that as a type of advantage. So, no, I, I absolutely agree because I think that, um, essentially, right? I, I think one of the biggest pieces here is let's consider flashback, right? Flashback, let's consider it a, all day. Yeah, flashback is such a great way to showcase this because you're using one card to get its effect or ability for however much mana, right? Goes to the graveyard, but now you have the opportunity to cast that spell again. So now you're getting two value worth of card in a single card slot in a hundred right. deck. So now you are getting double the value because that card can be cast from the graveyard again. Yep. Now, not obviously not all cards have flashback, but there are other ways to do a similar kind of thing, right? I mean, or there are cards that give all your cards flashback, you like right. Leer, Disciple of the Drowned, stuff you like can that. Do right? it with, you know, Savine or what, you know, Snapcaster, right? Yeah. Um, on top of that, you also have cards that have Embalm like Angel of Sanctions. Angel of Sanctions is, is, is a favorite card of mine, actually. I play it in my Gear Edge deck because you can cast it. Um, it comes onto the battlefield. It'll exile the thing until Angel of Sanctions leaves the battlefield. Once it's gone, it's now in the graveyard, but it has Embalm. So I can return it for one more mana, um, bring it back to the battlefield. And now with Gear Edge, now I'm populating that token and I can get more, right? Like that's just that one specific example but I'm getting value out of the card more than just the one time. It's repeatable, right? right? Um, they're saying it's similar with Encore and other effects like that, right? But filling your graveyard either through mill or discard can give you more cards to access because essentially if you have a reanimate in hand and you don't have anything in your graveyard, you're, that's, you know, that's, that's negative value, right? So now you're not getting right. any value out of that card. But the more that you fill the graveyard, now you have options. Now you can actually pick and choose what's right in the right situation to be able to bring back. Um, but I think that that recursion and kind of like finding ways to reuse and recycle like cards essentially gives you a ton of advantage throughout the game where you don't have to just cast the card the one time. You can cast it and then find ways to keep doing it rather than you know casting five different spells to get the same effect, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really, this is, I think this one's more commonly viewed as a form of card advantage, right? I think this is, it's, this is pretty, it's not innovative stuff that we're saying here. Like, you yeah. know, the, the graveyard becomes a second hand in a lot of decks, right? Like they, they have the capacity to, to change, to take that whole zone of the game and use it to their advantage in, you know, some of the things that Logan mentioned, I think, flashback and balm those kinds of things there's other spells that are you know huge advantage like an eerie ultimatum for example brings so much back from your graveyard and you oftentimes brings everything back from your graveyard yeah. if you build your deck around that right so that's that's a huge 
you know, big, massive burst of card advantage because you're getting for one card, you're getting 12 cards, you know, 20 cards, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, but there's other cards that can use the graveyard kind of more methodically as well. One card. And then there's other types like this, but I think crucible of worlds is a card that I use in my Quintorius landfall deck, where it's just continuously bringing a, a land back from the graveyard each turn that then can trigger other things. And, and you know, or it's a, a land that has an ability to sacrifice and draw a card or do something like that. Right. Like there's, there's ways to like, that's a, an example of just, it, it becomes a second hand and you can continually use those lands out of your graveyard to really good effect. Um, well, one of the other things that Logan had mentioned that I think should also be talked about here is, is talking about discard a little bit and how that plays into this equation. Cause one there's discard, you throw it in your graveyard, you can use it for, to your advantage, but there's also the effect of using discard to impact your opponent. So if I cast a spell that says each opponent discards two cards, I've used one card to get rid of a collective of six cards of my opponents. That one card has put me up on advantage. Um, another one that that is a specific example that I really like is a card like Painful Quandry that basically requires your opponents to make some kind of choice to either pay life or discard a card whenever they cast a spell. That generates you value over the course of a game because it's either going to be dealing them five, five damage or, or five life loss. That is... You know, there's plenty of cards out there that, you know, say, hey, deal your opponent five damage or whatever, right? Like that, that can be viewed as a card in its own right. But if they're, if they choose the other option and discard a card, they're going down on cards and it keeps you above them on the total number of cards that you're able to play. So this, that's a kind of a pure flip of the card advantage or the card draw space is instead of saying, hey, look, I'm going to draw six cards to get ahead of my opponents instead i'm just going to make them go down on cards to keep me above them that's that's the goal is that you are above your opponents in the form of cards right so whether that's you drawing them or you force them to lose them they kind of play in very similar spaces and from like a theory space i think that is kind of a critical thing especially in 1v1 formats in commander it's it is frowned upon to discard just from like the Hey, yeah, we're playing please, a long please game. Don't play Turgrid. Just don't, just don't play Turgrid, please. Nobody, please Turgrid. nobody has fun when you play Turgrid. Just don't, but, please. But that, that, that's in its own camp. Yeah, right? I, I feel like there, I feel like there's a role of discard that is fair and reasonable that yeah. isn't Turgrid. But right? I think regardless of if you play discard, I think it's a good thing to look at as far as ways that I get advantage are either I get more cards or. Uh, and that can come through all the ways we talked about my cards doing more things or my opponent's cards doing less things or removing my opponent's cards is a, is a form of advantage. Um, and I would say too, when we're talking about the graveyard or exile, um, I think there's two kind of different camps that I, I'd like to just highlight that we kind of just discussed being using those spaces as an additional hand with whatever that slight drawback is. Um, and then also, cards that you can reuse like it's one thing for me to mill myself with Gyruda or with uh just anything to get cards into my graveyard to then get them either for cheap or for free or just 
instead of waiting 10 turns to draw that card, I milled 10. The card is now ready. I can use the cards I've built into my deck to pull that out, even if it's at full full cost. That's using my graveyard as a hand. Whereas the other, uh, the, the flashback, the the Savin, the Vadrock, it does use it as a hand, but it's more about that reuse that, hey, I cast it once, I cast it again. I cast it seven times in some, in some respects. <laughs> but uh um, and with this card too, you can look at in both of those spaces, a, a faithless looting, a faithful mending cards that well, any of those cards that are saying discard two cards, discard three cards, and then you draw that many. In this type of deck, it's saying draw three cards, draw two cards, because you're keeping the other two. You get to use them out of your graveyard. Um, and so that that type of advantage, you do have to build it, right? Like you can't, I, I don't. I mean, I would recommend you put Faithful Mending and Faithless Looting in all your decks. But when you're looking at, hey, I can look at 30 cards in a game, let's say, without having a, a deck that draws my whole library, I'm going to see 30 of my cards. I may not even see that many. But if I can make those cards go further, uh, those my, my 30 is worth 60 of yours, or I get to cast my 30 twice, then you're probably winning that game or you've at least uh, upped your advantage to potentially winning that game. I think that's kind of the crux of the whole conversation, but also how you're looking at the graveyard specifically in that space. So, yeah. And I think with that, it can also be right now, obviously, you know, price can be a factor in that idea of like, Hey, my 30 are worth, you know, more than your 30 or whatever. But I do think that like, you know, if you're building in a certain way where your cards can synergize well together, maybe it's not even a single card, right? But maybe it's, hey, but these two, you know, this card with this effect, which I have a couple of, can generate now, you know, now those two, maybe it's two cards that are equaling, you know, your four versus sure. know, whatever, right? It's not necessarily just a, a one for one, but it could be. A yeah, I think, I, I think what I meant was like at the end yeah, of the yeah. day, the 30 cards I saw, were better than the 30 you yes. saw in, in the group, right? Or, or right. yeah, not even from like, a, well, I, I, I paid for my ancient doom and you didn't. So yeah, right. definitely from a, I'm getting more out of my cards. Right. Even if not just from like yeah. a power, you know, standard. Right. And that's good to clarify too, because yeah. card advantage and power is a thing. Yes. Right. But yeah, when we're just talking about theory, we're saying how, what synergies, what strategies can I employ to make my cards go further whether that is planeswalkers that are going to eat four pieces of removal or whether that's flashbacking your cards to, uh, there's a lot of ways with with uh, card advantage to make your cards go further and be worth your opponent's cards or more yeah definitely and and what it comes down to though within this is building to what your deck wants to do right you need to think about what your deck wants and and build to that cuz you you can't just slap you know, mill 15 in your, in any random deck and expect yes, it. <laughs> Jake, Jake's <laughs> in the opinion that you could, but that's not going to be a form of card advantage in any normal deck. But if your deck is leveraged to take advantage of that, it can be a form of card advantage. Right. right. So I, I think that that's one of the things to really think about is what your deck is looking for. Right. And, and building to that end. Um, the another another space that we've talked about and, and that generates advantage, this one comes and, and a lot of these ideas really do come from a one v one sixty card theory basis, right? That that where card advantage is 
really critical and like a very core part of the game. And I guess not that it's not a core part of Commander, but it's a lot more apparent and visual in a 60 card format because you're really you're really looking at it from me versus my opponent as opposed to me versus versus three opponents. But in that space, one of the the, the theories that comes out of this 1v1 60 card format is thinking about removal and finding a way to have a singular card, a singular removal spell impact multiple things. And that's where like, you know, ideas like wraths come in. Like I got back to the, the control strategy. Control decks love using wraths because one card can remove multiple cards. So Logan, talk to us, lead us into this idea of you know, this idea of, of removal and protection and wrath and like how that can build into this form of and become a form of card advantage. Yeah. So I think that I think that's actually really important. And I also think it helps to diversify your decks a little bit, which I'm always a proponent of, like finding ways of, OK, rather than just casting Wrath of God, you know, for the hundredth time, you know, just to reset the game. Yeah, just to reset the game. OK, is there a way that I can, you know, remove most of the threats while keeping most of what I want, right? Like if you have three opponents, let's say each have, let's say we all have three creatures on the battlefield. If I can find a way to keep my three creatures and get rid of your nine collectively, then I'm now getting advantage. So one of my, a really good example of this, I have a Jedit Ojanin mercenary deck, which is my uh, Bant legends deck. And so in that deck, I, I do play, you know, I have two different board wipes, um, but the main one that I play that's my best one is Urza's Ruinous Blast, which says exile all non-legendary uh, permanents. Uh, creatures? Permanents? I think I might have... I, I think it's permanents, yeah. Permanents. I think it's permanent. Non-land, yeah. Yeah, non-land, like exile all non, like, yeah, non-legendary non-land permanents. So when I cast that spell, usually what ends up happening is I get to keep my three or four creatures on board and with everything else that's on the battlefield. Now we are playing commander. So there might be some other legends out there, but more often than not, I get to remove the majority of everyone else's boards while keeping my own. So now rather than having to, you know, cast multiple removal spells to get rid of all of these things, I can cast, you know, one board wipe and get rid of three players you know defenses and attacks like in in one fell swoop so now i can either swing in to you know get a damage or i've taken care of most of their boards and now i can you know hold back and sit back and block whatever the situation may call for but urza's runa's blast is a great example of finding that advantage where i get to put myself ahead because i played a specific type of board wipe that affects mostly the other players and not me as much yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's huge. One-sided wraths. Uh, it's no no shock here for us to say one-sided yeah. wraths are good, right? Yeah. But Whoa. you can <laughs> if but if you think about it in the in the realm of card advantage, it's it's powerful, right? Like Logan's example of Urza's ruinous blast, like that has been to the detriment of many players at the table, often leading Logan to a win. And and there's a lot of these different types of effects. You know, Daxus has one in extinguish all hope damning verdict is one that destroys things without counters on them there's there's certainly we're starting to see more and more of these be printed is these rasts that really only can potentially only impact your opponents and leave you unscathed 
So if we're looking at this from, you know, we've talked about it from a, a gameplay theory standpoint, but from a deck building standpoint, if you're thinking, hey, I need to have X number of card advantage spells in my deck, and you can say, hey, look, but I have a one-sided wrath. Maybe that can be a wrath and a card advantage spell, and I can replace what was would be a card that says, hey, draw two cards. You know, I can put a different card in that space because that wrath is filling that slot of an advantage. Yeah, and I think that with that as well is some of the ones I really like are modal wraths, right? Like that's another form where I think you can gain some advantage, right? So the other one that I play in Jedit is Austere Command. Um, I play a lot of like the two to three drop legends and Jedit makes me tokens. So sometimes Austere Command can read, destroy everything that's mana value four or greater or power four or greater and destroy all enchantments because I only played two enchantments in that deck. So I think that I, I really like one-sided rats, but if whatever archetype you're playing maybe doesn't have a one-sided wrath, sometimes you can find modal ones like, or even farewell, right? Um, or like uh, merciless eviction, right? Something like that, where you can gain advantage by getting to choose which options and just having those options gives you an advantage in the game because you have not, you know, you have all the information in front of you. And so you can gain some advantage that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that there's a lot of power to that, but a lot of some decks can't, some decks might not be able to find that, right? They might yeah. not be able to find that wrath that specifically benefits only them. And this is where to our detriment to our whatever, Jake is the king of this, of using protection spells to keep his board around. And I think these also fall in the same camp. So Jake, talk to us a little bit about your, your perspective on protection spells and how they fit in this card advantage space. Cause I think, I think they really, really can be powerful spells, not only to save your board, but also being viewed through this lens of card advantage. Yeah. I mean, like I said in the first episode of the podcast, I do not like losing my stuff. And so protection, uh, I may overdo it. I, I have a deck that utilizes it to great effect um, in my rel, which is my um, is my deck that I do not know if it's lost. And if it has, it was must have been a, a bad mulligan because it does it really to good effect where I don't have a ton of card draw on the deck. I have, I don't know, so an okay amount. But there's cards that would go in there like Welcoming Vampires and things like that that you think, oh, this is a token deck. Put put Benny Brax in there. Put put Vampire in there. That actually those don't make the cut um, because like you said, one thing that this deck thrives off of is getting a very large board. And so a card that says draw two means a little bit less to me than keep my 30, right? If I have a card that says keep your 30 pieces of cardboard on the board means way more to me than if I draw the card that says the next time you make a token, you can draw a second card. Um, and, and that is also to say with, with wraths and, and removal generally, you know, there there's, there's uh, uh, theories of using your opponent's removal instead of your own. And I, I do subscribe to that in some respects, but especially subscribe to it when you've got a Teferi's protection, when you've got a clever concealment, there's so many now that cost you next to no mana. So even holding up, I mean, 
my deck list has all of them, but you're essentially talking about this one card is generating my advantage of a, I keep my, my X pieces of cardboard. You're effectively countering a spell. So you are saying to the board wipe, not a, not to me, but you're also using the board wipe to, yeah, you hit the other two players. It also, you know, it's, it comes as a board wipes are usually played when, when played correctly, they're played at a point where the game is going to end. If I don't do this, if I don't cast this board wipe, or me casting this board wipe is going to end the game. Like if, you know, if, if Jedit casts his Urza's Ruinous Blast, wipes us out, and he's able to then finish us off with what he has. So what your protection spell can do in that case is say, you've not only not succeeded in being able to finish me off, and maybe you do swing at the other people. You've also cleared the gates for my board that I've protected. Um, and, and, and often that means you win the game off of someone else's board wipe. And so... Yeah, I mean, protection spells do a lot for you. I see them as a modal spell very often as far as, one, I can just keep my engine moving if I'm not ready to finish the game. Um, if I, if I, you know, am being swung at for lethal, it could be kind of like a fog. Um, or, in this case, dodging a board wipe to then finish the game. So that it's it's got the modality, it's got the, the X for one, um, just cards that you've been able to keep because, again... Drawing cards means that you're seeing more cardboard, but keeping cards that you've already invested resources into, often that is honestly, in some respects, a more, um, a better use of your resources for card advantage. Yeah. Cause I mean, if we think about it, right, like typically you have to, you know, use a cardboard to get more cardboard, right? So, you know, to draw a card, you have to usually have a card that says draw a card on it. Um, Whereas, you know, but like I kind of mentioned before, the ultimate goal of the game is to be the last one surviving. And so if the way that you do that is sometimes by, you know, it, it might not just be to, to get more cardboard in your hand. That's not, you know, right? Like having more cardboard is the, is the tool to get you to that victory. It's not. You can win with 90 cards in hand. Or right. sorry, you can lose with 90 cards. Yeah, exactly. You could win with one card, right? So it's like, it goes both ways. Obviously we know that, but the idea of saying you don't necessarily have to draw those cards to get that, you know, to get, and that's what we've been saying the whole time. But I like that idea of saying, Hey, with this one spell, and especially there's so many cheap ways to do it. You can save yourself, let everyone else get wiped. Cause some, you know, cause there's lots of rats that aren't one-sided. So sometimes they'll wrap even their own board, even if they have a few creatures because everything else is too scary. And now you're, you know, you're Scott clean, you know, you're, you're good. And now you don't, you know, now you basically can be set up to win the game, which is, you know, right. and, and that's the exact point of getting card advantage is to be the last one left standing. So. Yeah. And again, if you get board wiped, you have gone down 15 cards, whatever right. it is to one card. So whatever card advantage you built up, Big time. you may have drawn 15 cards leading up to that point and you played those 15 cards and then one card just to put, put you back to the stone age, right? They get, you got negative card advantage. So the protection spell, I'd also see that as this protects, it, it validates all the other card advantage I'm doing so that I'm not spinning my wheels and deploying, committing to the board and then getting blown out. So it, it I'm biased, but it's probably the best form of card advantage. 
Yeah. And I think that really, you know, in my realm, I would agree with that. That is the, the kind of the, the crowning piece of, of card advantage for that deck, but that's for my realm. Not every yeah. deck plays like that. And so yeah. I think that's kind of the, the call to action here as we come towards the end of our episode is thinking about what your deck wants and build the advantage suite that your deck wants. I want to go back kind of to one of our early examples from the episode and talk about my Daxus deck. I was playing recently with some with some friends and I had I had a couple of cards out that were netting me some kind of of card advantage in its very literal sense. I had a Phyrexian Arena. I think I had one other piece or maybe had cast like um, a secret rendezvous or something and I had a fair number of cards in my hand. But I won I won this game, but I won that game with seven cards in my hand and I hadn't really cast a spell for two to three turns because all I was doing was activating Daxus and and pumping my mana into him. And so all those extra cards, albeit great, I had a full hand and if something happened, you know, and that's one of the advantages just having raw cards is if something does go wrong, you have something else in your hand to fall back on that you can continue to cast and continue continue to develop your board but in the case of this game i won that game with seven cards in my hand that i was never going to cast so those seven cards were dead draws essentially there was no need for me to have those cards in my hand because daxis was the engine that was driving me towards that win so as i've built and as i've thought about daxis a lot the deck i've worked on and and really fine-tuned and perfected in a lot of ways i have actively pulled out cards that maybe get me a bunch more cards in my hand because the deck just simply doesn't need them. I Sometimes I fall prey to this and I think about, I look at the deck building templates and I see what's out there and it's like, oh, well, let me go through and count the number of card advantage spells that I have and, oh, I'm missing this. But then I go and play the deck and I'm like, no, I'm not missing those things. This deck doesn't necessarily need those things. And so that's what we all wanted to to bring up today is, to think about what your deck needs because every deck needs something different. And Jake Logan, talk to us about, you know, maybe one of your decks that has an alternate perspective on card advantage and how you've leveraged that to good effect just to help our listeners see that maybe there's something beyond just this, you know, this true, I'm going to slap a Ristic study down and I'm going to draw a bunch of cards and that's going to be what wins me this game. Hey, there's no reason to not slap a Ristic study down. I'll just <laughs> lead with that. Um, I will also say, um, Q, to, to kind of cap that is if you just play card draw spells and you draw into card draw spells, feels good and you die happy, but you still die. <laughs> and it happens a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, there are some decks... I will some say, decks will do that. You want to. There draw, are right? some decks where the best way for your deck to gain card advantage is to draw cards, right? We, we don't want yeah. to not acknowledge like some decks like win by milling Most out or by having no or, yeah. cards in your library, right? So like there are definitely decks where it's like, you know, Quentin mentioned control decks earlier. I think a lot of control decks probably do want cards because every card is could be seen as a possible counter or a rat right. or something like that. So just want to like caveat, but keep going, Jake. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and especially in the, in the, with certain synergies and with, with control. And honestly, if you're building a deck for the first time, it's probably good to have a lot of card draws so that you can have the machine moving. So you can see your cards and see which ones you do like. Often when I start with a pre-con, especially when we're doing the league, 
I just throw card draw in there because I need to figure out how the deck works. I need to see the cards. But at some point, like the whole podcast has been about is there are other ways to get advantage and make your cards worth more. Um, we, we did talk about Myrella Fairmount. I think she's beautiful. I, I post my uh, deck list on my Twitter. So definitely take a look at that. Um, but I had a deck and I've talked about it before and I'm, I'm retooling it for some new colors. But my Livio deck was a, a house of card advantage after it got its uh, board presence stable. It did do uh, the protection thing because that's what my decks do. But what it was reusing was actually um, triggered abilities. So not abilities that you're, you know, doing some cost in front of the colon, but triggering on enter the battlefield. And it was essentially a blink deck. And so I would get whatever my five pieces down that synergized together, whether that was Sarah's emissary so that I could keep resetting what I'm protected against. Uh, maybe the other times where it's the dock side or when, you know, winning on a dock side, but um essentially what that deck wanted was if there is a spell that exists can it exist as an etb on a creature if so i will prefer that because i again i can reuse those etbs with the blink um and so in that deck similar to in badrock i'm looking at a parameter or a a a pseudo restriction but if i fill that restriction i get card advantage because i'm reusing those things um so in livio it was always Hey, that's an ETB draw two cards. I prefer that over a cheaper draw two card uh, sorcery, right? Like Livio ran like two instances of sorceries. It was very much a creature and then supporting cast. So um, I'd say that's probably my deck where I um, had to look and say, what does my deck want? And how do I get the card advantage from that want or that need? Yeah. Um, so I am currently right now uh working on I've, I've play tested it a couple times now and i'm thinking about pulling the trigger and building it but i'm working on a zevlor um Elturial exile uh commander deck uh basically what he says is you can pay two mana and then the next instant or sorcery you know you would cast this turn if it would target a single player or a single permanent that player controls an opponent a single opponent or a permanent that opponent controls you can copy it for each other player you know each other opponent or thing it could target so if i cast a murder which is three mana to destroy target creature if i activate zevlor's ability first i can now also target my other two opponents and destroy one of their creatures as well so i really like zevlor in the example of this because he is basically turning one-for-one cards into three-for-one cards. Now, you could say it's into a two-for-one because I technically still have to have Zevlor on the battlefield and I have to pay mana to activate his ability and then cast the spell. So he does- But it's repeatable. But it's repeatable. And to me, that is the thing that when I, like, when I really get down and look at card advantage, I look at it as, can I repeat this thing? Can I do it multiple times? you know, through blinking, through activated abilities, through recurring it from the graveyard. That's where I really look and find card advantage and value is in repeating something multiple times. And so being able to cast a pilfer that would normally, you know, just look at one opponent's hand and make them discard something, 
Now with Zevlor, I get to do it for all three of my opponents, which, and I'm also getting more information by looking at all of their hands. So like, and so that's the deck for me right now that I'm really focusing and working on that I think generates that card advantage in a different way, where I don't necessarily need Zevlor to draw me a ton of cards because he is specifically designed to utilize cards and make them and stretch the cards out and say, this is now not just one card. Now it's three cards. And I've been able to stretch its advantage and its value just from the one cardboard into three different pieces of cardboard. Yeah. I, and I think that's a beautiful way to kind of bring the, the cast to a close here is think about ways that your deck can stretch a card beyond it, you know, beyond its one use. Think about what your commander, what your deck specifically wants and find a way to create advantage in ways that may not just be draw a card. Cause it truly, as you start to work towards those things can create advantage that can snowball way, way beyond what a card that says draw three cards could do, right? Like they can snowball you into a new space. So just want to, say thanks for listening thanks for joining us today we we're loving doing this and we hope you're enjoying this ride with us go ahead and go to our Substack page we are out of the box mtg find some great articles there we're putting up articles each week and yeah follow along join us and enjoy the ride with us but again this is out of the box mtg where we think and play out of the box thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time Thank you.